Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Yes. All right. As Pastor Denise shared, today we're beginning a brand new sermon series that I am really excited about. And this series is going to anchor us from now till Resurrection Sunday. And the title of this series is a title that I just keep, like, I haven't landed on it. <laughs> You're like, what? How are you preaching a series that you haven't landed on the title? Here's why. Because I know what I believe God wants to accomplish through this series, but I haven't figured out a snazzy way of saying it. So no pizzazz, no sauce added. Um, here's what I propose will be the title of this series. Quite simply, Applying the Gospel. Applying the gospel. That's what I'm believing that God is going to allow us to all collectively experience. And today we're going to talk about an aspect of the gospel. And you may be wondering, what is gospel? Um, is that a genre of music? Yes, it is, but it's so much more. What is gospel? Is that like a specific message for people that don't follow Jesus? It is, but it's so much more. The gospel is... Uh, often talked about so much that we haven't always articulated what it is. So it's like everything and then it's almost like it's not anything because we haven't defined it. But today we're going to talk about an aspect of the good news because that's what gospel means, good news. How many need some good news in their life? If you had a rough week or rough season, say, man, I need some good news. Don't tell me bad news. Today we're going to talk about good news, and we're going to talk about an aspect of the good news that regrettably we only talk about once a year. It's the strangest thing that we don't talk about this every day, regularly, that it's frequent. It should be. And hopefully by the end of today, we shift that habit. And we come to realize that we need to talk about this aspect of the gospel every day. And what we're going to talk about today is the incarnation. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and onward. It says this, the Son, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Verse 19 for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Would you join me in prayer? 
God, we come before your word with hungry, expectant hearts. We pray you would speak to us as only you can. Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus, reveal him to each and every one of us. May we have an encounter with you this morning that transforms us, that edifies us, that changes us. We come with expectant hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, a friend of mine, he was sharing the gospel, the faith, with someone who was an unbeliever. He was trying to explain to them what following Jesus is all about and what our faith is all about. And now this was a, a special kind of unique situation. He was sharing this with someone who, though, was very intellectual, very smart. This person was in this country um, on a student visa, and they were attending a very good school. So that they were very knowledgeable of many things in the world, but strangely, from their part of the world coming to America, they had never been in close contact with a Christian. So they, they, this was like a really like, amazing moment, rare, um, for, all, for all intents and purposes. And the guy was an engineer that was not a Christian, and so he was kind of computing and listening. And his summary of the faith was quite interesting. He said, it sounds to me that Christianity is a mixture of spiritual truths and it seems like very important events. I was struck by his amazing synopsis of our faith because he was actually spot on. There's something about our faith that those dual kind of summaries are very important to realize. Our faith does have incredible spiritual truths. Jesus said things that the world continues to marvel and unpack and try to model. Things like love your neighbor as yourself. Things like uh, pick up your cross and deny yourself. Uh, there's things that Jesus said that the world is still trying to reflect on these thousands of years later. It's filled with amazing spiritual truths about love and service and sacrifice and putting others before yourself, about humility. But it's also so much more because there are key historical events that mark our faith. One is the incarnation. Whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, I think it would be encouraging to note that even people that don't follow Jesus, that don't uh, conclude that he is the Lord the way we would, these same folks, historians, are in full agreement that there was a man named Jesus who was born into this world, that he had a physical life, he had friends, he had people that knew him, he had a message, he went about doing amazing things, and people recognize and declare him that he is true. He's not a figment of our imagination. He's not an aberration. He is true. This man lived. The incarnation was a historical moment when God entered into his very creation. He entered into the world in order that he might be near us. You know, in Christmas time, we talk about God, and there's a name that we often ascribe to God during Advent season, Christmas season, and it is Emmanuel. Why? Because that's from the Old Testament prophets that speak of the coming of the Messiah, 
And they ascribed to him this name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so during Christmas season, when we celebrate the incarnation, we're celebrating this act of God entering into his creation in order that he might be with us. It's absolutely astounding that God would choose to be with us. Have you ever read in scripture how amazing heaven is? Take a moment this week and read the scriptures and just take a moment and soak in the glory of heaven and then realize Jesus left all of that and entered into our world just to be with us. Now, I love New York, but have you ever really taken a good look at how dirty our subways are? <laughs> our streets. It, it, it's, it's, there's some icky stuff. So I appreciate anybody that would come and hang out with me in New York, leave the Pacific Northwest, leave the Midwest, and come and slum it for a weekend. I heard a story of, of a father who was leading a very successful company and his daughter's dream and hope was to open up a small town bakery. And she began to lead it, but unfortunately, this bakery began to struggle. And it was, the writing was on the wall. And it was gonna close eventually. It was just a matter of time. The story goes, this father took a leave of absence from his very successful corporation, and he worked alongside his daughter in the bakery just to be with her. It's a beautiful image of what God essentially has done in the incarnation. He's come to be near us. Our faith is about God who comes and pursues us and, and, and seeks to be near us. The nearness of God is very core to our faith. We don't sing and pray and worship to a distant God. We sing and pray and worship to a God who came near us. And so the gulf that existed between humanity and God was bridged during the incarnation. And what took place as God became fully man while remaining fully God is that we now have an exact carbon copy visual that clarifies all the assumptions, the questions about what is God like? If you've ever wondered, what is God really like? All you have to do is look at Jesus. And I've realized that not only unbelievers or people that don't follow Jesus, they're not the only ones that have that question. In fact, I think Christians struggle with that question more often than we admit. We don't know always, what is God like, especially when I mess up, when I struggle, when I don't hit the target? When I don't meet the standard, when my week comes to an end and I look back and it wasn't successful, where my interactions with others were less than stellar, where my thoughts about myself are heavy and dark and dreary, what is God like? All you and I have to do is to look at Jesus. And that's what this verse in Colossians tells us. It says that it, God was pleased to have all his fullness in Jesus in bodily form. All the fullness of God 
was found in Jesus in bodily form. So when we look at the incarnation and we see how Jesus interacted, how he treated people, how he, how he spoke to people, the way he lived his life, we are getting a full view of who God is through the incarnation. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus says this about himself, all things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is the revelation of the Father. We know who the Father is and what the Father is like through Jesus. The question of what is God is like, what God is like is cleared up through Jesus. And the first aspect of that good news is the incarnation, when he became fully man while remaining fully God, entered into our world. How many have ever experienced a two-way mirror, like have stood in front of a two-way mirror knowing, it's a weird experience, knowing that there's people on the other side that are looking at you. You ever been observed that way? Um, there, there's a few different settings that I've been in for whatever reason. And there's actually two-way mirrors over here at Legal Outreach in the back. Um, and so it's for observation purposes. And so you'll have people inside a, a, a classroom or whatever, and there's this two-way mirror which lets people look in, and then folks can actually look out, but they can't fully see. It just gives them like a reflection of themselves while letting other people look in. But if you get close enough, you can more often than not see the other people on the other side. I think of the incarnation often as this two-way mirror where through God becoming human and entering into his creation, we not only can see him, but we could also see ourselves. And here's what happens when we look at Jesus and we see him and we see ourselves, something transformative happens. John chapter 1, verse 14 to 18 says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. See, when we see Jesus, we see God the Father. And John tells us that in this moment of seeing Jesus, and by extension seeing God the Father, says we are beholding his glory. We are witnessing something that's truly glorious. Have you ever seen something in this life that just captivated you. Think about a moment that you remember and said, man, I will never forget that moment. Whether it was a beautiful sunset, 
the birth of a child, an accomplishment that you worked really hard and you walked across that stage and got that certificate first in your family, that promotion, bought your, your, bought your first house, your kid got into a great program. You remember those moments. Those moments, you can't be cool. You can't maintain composure. You're not yourself when you're in the presence of moments like that. I remember when my kids were born, being in the delivery room. There's no, you, you can't be cool in that moment when you see the miracle of childbirth and you see how incredible women are because men couldn't do that. We wouldn't have lasted this long <laughs> if it was on our shoulders. God knew what he was doing. I often think a good barometer of you and I actually believing the good news, the incarnation, the reality of the gospel is that you've lost your sense of cool a little bit. That you, you, you've lost composure to some degree that, because it ruins you. It absolutely wrecks you when you are struck by the reality that the living God entered into his creation for you, for me. That he wasn't willing enough just to declare that he loved us from afar. That he was willing to enter into our world, experience pain, rejection, be murdered. All so that he could clear up any fog that we might have in our minds as to who he is and what he's like. When that strikes you, there's no cool bone left in your body. You're wrecked. It ruins you for the good. You're never the same. And what happens when we see, again, this two-way mirror idea, when we see the glory of God in the incarnation, we see who God is, but we also get a clearer picture as to who we are. And that's where this transformative thing happens. Years ago, I knew this guy that he was a very, um, he was a professional CrossFit athlete. He ranked, I believe it was like 116 out of over 15,000 CrossFit athletes in the tri-state area. That was impressive because when I got around him, I was like, you mean to tell me there's uh, like 115 people that train harder than you? That's scary. Because the guy was intense. He actually went on a vacation, a cruise, that was filled with other CrossFit athletes. The whole cruise ship. <laughs> you imagine that. For snack time, they were having protein bars, you know, just <laughs> smoothies everywhere. And I said, why would you, why, you know, there's so many great places you could go. Why would you go there? He said, because on that boat will be some of the greatest athletes in my field, and I will only know how weak I am and where I need to grow when I'm in the presence of people that are greater than me. 
when we stare at Jesus in the incarnation, not only do we see the greatness of God's love, his holiness, his grace, his kindness, but we also see the greatness of our brokenness. Jesus has not inspired me for a long time in terms of I'm inspired to be like him because I know I can't be like him. In fact, when I actually meditate long enough about how kind he was, how gracious he was, how always, he was just always amazing, it is utterly discouraging. Because 99% of the time throughout the day, I'm not like that. And so when you stare at Jesus, not only are you awestruck, you can't remain cool because he's amazing, but also it's utterly revealing because it shows us where we are weak, where we are broken. When you really encounter Jesus through the incarnation and, and really let it strike you and change you and reveal you, one of the things that comes up is that you realize moral improvement and self-help is not enough to help us. Our problem is way deeper. Then it becomes clearer, oh, this is why God had to enter into his creation in order to save me. That's how much saving I needed. I couldn't have been saved through a telegram. Through some, no, I needed him to come up close to pull us out of the mud. God came near us through the incarnation and his nearness not only revealed his character, but it revealed our desperate need for more than just comfort or solidarity in our humanity. It revealed we needed a fundamental transformation. The incarnation wasn't just intended to bring comfort and connection, say, oh, God knows what it's like to be like me. That, that's comforting, that's, that's assuring. It was meant to bring a fundamental transformation because this two-way mirror of the incarnation, it's revealing the depths of God's love, that he was willing to leave glory to come into his creation, but it also reveals the depths of our depravity. When you connect the cross and the incarnation, see Christmas time, Christmas would be awkward in the way America celebrates it if we were constantly bringing the, the incarnation and the cross because it would be like, oh, he's come, but he died for you. you know? <laughs> he, look, Merry Christmas, bloody cross. You know, like it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's like two different keys on a piano, but actually they're not distinct, they're not separated. They're all together, even though we experience them and celebrate them as distinct things. But when you connect the cross and the incarnation, something powerful happens. Colossians 1, going back, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. His incarnation leads to the crucifixion, and, and Paul is telling us one of the objectives of that is to present us holy in his sight. This is an amazing truth that God tells us that what happens through his redemptive work in our lives is that he actually presents us holy in the sight of God. 
This is the makeover of makeovers. For God to present us as holy. How powerful it is that he credits to us his righteousness and his holiness. And now we're presented as holy in the sight of God. But look at what it says. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. See, so Paul in this text He's telling us these big aspects of the gospel, the good news, the incarnation, the cross. And then he has that clause in there that said, you you can be presented holy. You You can be made blameless if you continue in the gospel. And that's where this idea of this series comes, this idea of applying the gospel to our lives. Of not just mentally assenting to it one time a year. But on a daily basis, applying the gospel to our lives, being reminded, recentered, returning to it, being renewed by it. See, because the, if, if the incarnation is revealing the character of God and it's also revealing the broken character in us, then the cross reveals that we can't save ourselves from the brokenness in us. And what the cross ends up being, it ends up being an incredible report card on humanity. As high and lofty as we often think we are as people, as just where we often think of us in very like generous, kind terms. And I'm not saying that all of you are villainous and that you're just these evil, sinister people. But the reality is, generally speaking, broad strokes, as people, we describe ourselves way better than we actually are. And it's one of the evidences for me when people ask me, how do you know that the scriptures are really inspired by God? Because I'll tell you this, if we were writing this, we would have been far more generous to ourselves. We would have described ourselves in way better, kinder light. We would have put a filter on it. But the incarnation, when it reveals that brokenness, it invites us to cling to the cross. When we see I'm not like him, I can never be like him. But he came to save me, that he could make me like him. One of the ways to apply, I'm going to go over a few things and then we're going to land this plane. How do we apply the incarnation? I want to give you a script, a template of a script. You have to make your own. But this is a script that I often have to use for myself. Whenever I lose my temper with my kids, whenever whenever I'm impatient with my wife, whenever someone does something that's clearly selfish and hurtful to other people, and it somehow involves me and I have to be involved, I feel anger, I feel frustration, and I feel my heart going to not a healthy, loving Jesus place. I apply the gospel by reminding myself what I'm looking at, the ugliness, the hideousness, the brokenness, God saw that fully and still came running in our direction. What I'm doing at that moment, I'm reminding myself I'm not too broken for God to come near me. 
I'm not too broken for God to come near me. There's times where I'll find myself in certain places and I feel like I don't belong. Have you ever been there? Where you feel inadequate. You feel like you feel less than. You feel like they're going to find out you're an imposter real soon. And lately I've been speaking to myself in those moments. I tell myself, Chris, you belong in every room you're in. Why is that? Because the living God loves you, Chris. He made you. And he knows you fully and loves you nonetheless. There's no surprising him, Chris. And because of that reason alone, not your gifts, not your qualifications, because of that reason alone, pick your head up. Don't let anyone look down on you, Chris. Because if he loves you enough to come close to you, then you have reason to have confidence. When I'm unloving toward my kids and I feel the weight of it, the guilt of it, I apply the gospel to my heart at those times and remind myself that my kids could also see Jesus in me through my confession, my brokenness, and my humility. I want them to see Jesus in me through dad always getting it right. But the fact is they're seeing Jesus in me and through me more often than when dad doesn't get it right. But then dad points them to Jesus. What's your gospel script? What are the situations in your life that you're realizing those broken places I need to apply the gospel in those places What might it look like for you to create your own gospel script in those moments? So again, you're not just mentally assenting to the good news a couple times a year, but you are constantly applying it in the heat of the moment. What's the temptation that needs to hear the gospel in your soul? What's the lie that you're battling with about God, about yourself, that needs to hear some powerful truth? What are the broken relationships in your life that are not going to get better outside of there being a transformative power at work in your soul. Where does the gospel need to be applied? Because when we do that, transformation happens. As we see who he is, we realize who we are not and see the cross reconciling that. Could I invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward? Jesus. Could we raise our hands in the presence of God as a physical posture of surrender? Jesus. Jesus. Lord, you have come near us that we might come near you. Jesus, thank you for revealing who the Father is, that as we stare at your life in the Gospels, we have a vivid picture of who the Father is, 
all the confusion gets cleared up. But we also see who we are not. We also see the desperate need that we are in. And despite that, you came near. God, this week, if we're rejected, if we're forgotten, if we feel alone, we, we remind ourselves God came near. He's near me. He pursues me. I'm never forgotten by you. Jesus, may we apply the good news to the depths of our hearts. When we perform good and when we perform poorly, may we apply the good news. So we come to you, Jesus, now in desperate need. As we worship, the prayer team is in the back. At any moment during this time, you could slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer. We make this invitation every week, and, and some of us take advantage of it, and some of us perhaps we're more reserved or maybe don't want to take that step. But can I tell you, absolute miracles have happened as people have received prayer during these spaces. Not only healing miracles, but miracles of comfort and grace and peace as the Spirit inspires prayers and words to be spoken over us through brothers and sisters. I can't encourage you enough. If you're feeling that tug to receive prayer, move on it, jump on it today. Let's turn our hearts to God. Let's worship.